We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This past week, it was reported that President Donald Trump's legal team met with members of special counsel Robert Mueller's team looking into alleged collusion with the Russians. And the headline dominated by quotes from a book about alleged chaos in the Republican White House. Democrats may be having a field day right now. Well, we're going to talk with an outspoken one this weekend. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is 5th District Congressman Michael Quigley of Chicago. This avid hockey player and fan now occupies the seat on Capitol Hill, once held by a guy named Emmanuel wonder whatever happened to him, but uh, Congressman Quigley was first elected in 2009. He was on the Cook County Board before that. Now he serves on the House Appropriations Committee and the Select Committee on Intelligence, among others. Those are both appropriate for our discussions this weekend. Congressman Mike Quigley, welcome back. Good morning. Thanks for having me on again. Well... It is good to have you in our first show of the uh, new year. But before we get to the domestic politics, uh, let's look at international affairs uh, for a bit, because uh, just days after Korean leader Kim Jong-un and President Trump exchanged words about whose nuclear button was bigger, uh, the South Korean Unification Ministry and the, and the North actually announced that the North had agreed to talks without preconditions within a matter of days. In fact, on Tuesday, when they're scheduled to start, how hopeful are the signs dealing with North Korea right now? Well, diplomatic efforts are always welcome. Uh, there is no alternative to a diplomatic solution to this war in that peninsula is unconscionable. Uh, as you know, we have tens of thousands of troops close to the DMZ. Our allies are, are right there. There are uh, tens of thousands of pieces of artillery locked and loaded, aimed for Seoul. Uh, there's obviously the nuclear threat. So uh, my message to the White House is uh, let diplomacy take its course. We need to enhance the sanctions that are taking place Uh we have to pressure China to continue to enforce these sanctions, and we have to crack down on violators. And, oh, by the way, uh, the president should talk to Mr. Putin because uh, Russia trade with with North Korea actually increased in the first quarter of last year. So I'm hopeful. I'm concerned that the vitriolic uh, tone by the president is not helpful and probably undercuts Mr. Tillerson's efforts. Um. No, I suspect that the president would suggest that his pressure and challenging um, sets the uh, sets the atmosphere for the talk. Should Americans be worrying about a possibility of war because of the rhetoric, uh, either with North Korea anywhere, but but specifically with North Korea? Well, let's compare it with another uh, strategic moment in our nation's history: the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, Let's recall how the Kennedy administration reacted. There was no tweeting, if it even were in existence at the time, 
uh, Khrushchev bad, OMG. All right, there was a thoughtful deliberation and discussion. Uh, they weren't just messaging to uh, the base. They were messaging to the American public and to the Russian leadership. There were back channels set up in a diplomatic effort, not one to try to embarrass the other side. It's fair to say that the leader of North Korea is uh, less rational than the Russian leadership was in the early 60s and is prone to impulsive behavior, as I suggest, I would suggest our president is. So uh, now is the time for calm, rational voices. It is not the time for impulsive, almost childlike uh, tweets. But is it possible that the rhetoric is existing in some ways in its own universe, in the public posturing universe, and that in fact the diplomats are working quietly behind the scenes saying, yeah, yeah, ignore that stuff. All right, let's, let's go, let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, the United States, uh, president is the leader of the free world. Words matter. Our allies listen to every word. You've traveled across the world. You know that when the president speaks, it's headlines in every other country. So when the president comes off, unfortunately, as our president does, as an impulsive, childlike, immature, tweeting, uh, something more like an eighth grader would than the president of the United States, it doesn't help work with the United Nations, South Korea, Japan, and China uh, to pressure the North to do the right thing. It does just the opposite. Perhaps you're right, but who wants to take that gamble when the stakes are so high? How do you see world leaders, other world leaders, regarding U.S. actions in North Korea, Israel, the environment, trade, all those major topics. Um, Is the U.S., I mean, the president says that the U.S. is gaining new respect for its strength and for saying we're going to take care of our interests first. What do you see on the world stage? I think the rest of the world looks at us in the following way. When the president talks about America first, They think of it more of a selfish isolationism, that we're not here for you. I I think it's fair to compare President Putin's statements about democratic liberal institutions in the West and compare them to the Trump statements on the same issues, the United Nations, NATO. I don't know that the leaders of NATO believe that we're going to be with them if push comes to shove. I think they think that America is now first and foremost worried about itself from an economic point of view and a military point of view. Uh, We need each other. I've served now uh, over three years on the House Select Committee on Intelligence. What keeps us safe? It is our relationship with our allies, not just that we know that we're with each other on a military point of view, but the fact that we share critical intelligence. We certainly learned that the hard way on 9-11 and with other recent attacks and threats of attacks. We are safer because our allies in NATO share information with us that keeps us safe. When they sense that the United States can't be trusted with that information or isn't likely to stand by us, they are far less likely to stand by us when we're threatened or to share information. And I think there's a lot of truth to that on the economic point of view. Uh, I think there are those that think the United States can be 
on its own from an economic point of view. We're 5% of the world's market. If we're only buying from each other, things aren't going to go particularly well. Isolationism doesn't work there. We need our allies to work with us to grow our economies. Um, let's talk about something that uh, straddles the worlds of international affairs and domestic uh, politics, and that's the Russia investigation. Uh, I know you've had a strong interest in that. Well, President Trump told the New York Times he believes Robert Mueller, uh, who heads the inquiry into uh Russian meddling in the American political process. Uh, he feels Mueller is going to be fair to him. He still insists, though, that there was no collusion and he doesn't expect Mueller to find any. How much do, do his statements about Mueller at this point uh, ease any fears you have about the White House trying to keep Mueller from doing his job? I think the recent statement by the president in that interview was probably his staff hitting him over the head, saying, you've got to push back on this. I think there's genuine concern within the White House that the president is being investigated for obstruction of justice. Well, let's remember what he did. He uh, told Director Comey to go easy on the General Flynn investigation. He fired Comey for, in his own words, that Russian thing. So I think he's being married, very mindful right now of what he says because he's concerned about what Mueller's doing, not just on the Russian investigation, but the investigation as it relates to the possibility of obstruction of justice. Far more important than all of that is, this is, this is the committee I'm on. Uh, the House Committee on Intelligence is doing the lead investigation in Congress on just what the Russians did and how we reacted. What we're seeing now, uh, led by the White House, I would suspect, is a, a full-out attempt to stop this investigation early. Uh, they're making it extremely difficult to do the work we have to do. They're doing that any number of ways. One, they declined to issue subpoenas on key, key areas with key witnesses. Uh, they've rushed recent interviews, often without documents. That would include uh, Mr. Kushner's interview. Uh, they have started rogue, unilateral, partisan, alternative investigations of, surprise, surprise, Hillary Clinton and others. Uh, they have, with congressional help, uh, challenged Mueller's integrity and the FBI's integrity. They have questioned the integrity of the entire intelligence community. Uh, and I think there's a lot of damage that will be lasting as a result. Uh, they've, they've questioned the integrity of Mr. Mueller, a war hero with impeccable bipartisan credentials. Well, look at it this way. This is the ball game for the White House. And frankly, I think it's the ball game for Putin. Uh, they, this investigation has gotten very close. Uh, four high-level Trump officials have been indicted. Two have pled guilty. George Papadopoulos, who lied about efforts to connect the campaign in Russia, and we have learned top campaign officials knew this. General Flynn, and he is cooperating, uh, the National Security Advisor. We have to think about that. The National Security Advisor under Trump admitted that he lied about discussions with the Russians, the Russian ambassador, about uh, sanctions. Those sanctions were put in place by President Obama for the attack um, on our democratic process. He said he was directed and reported back to the White House on this. Who knew and what they knew? 
So at a very point in our time when we need to know most about what the Russians did and how to respond, my Republican colleagues are attempting to halt this investigation with the White House effort uh, behind it and uh, attack the integrity of our intelligence community. What the Republican leadership and, and some rank and file lawmakers are saying is that there was an inherent bias among the investigators, that they betrayed that in their private emails to each other. And isn't that something that if the positions were reversed, Democrats would be saying, "Hey, wait! This is this this is this is a uh, this is a tainted investigation." Right. I think they're referring to uh, uh, emails between a few FBI uh, officers back and forth, uh, and I I think what Mr. Mueller did in reaction was to immediately take those agents off the investigation, which was the appropriate thing to do. But I would remind my Republican colleagues that during the investigation of Hillary Clinton's emails, the exact same thing happened with FBI agents um, who were tweeting that they didn't like Hillary Clinton. These are people, too. They're allowed to have their personal political views as long as it doesn't impact what they're doing. There is absolutely no evidence that ever this has ever impacted the course of the investigation. So, um, you know, the problem with that is they're attacking the integrity of the institution more than just those officers. And I think there's long lasting damage to this. They also suggest that, well, this investigation could go on forever. Uh, the Benghazi investigation spent far more money over a three year period and found absolute, absolutely no wrongdoing except for the attackers. This investigation in the course of less than a year has already indicted four members of the Trump administration. And there's so much more to do. Let's remember, we haven't, as a House investigation, even touched the financial aspects of what took place. Uh, I think you could look at the recent subpoena by Mr. Mueller of Deutsche Bank as an indication that there's much more for us to talk about there much of the Trump financing of the last decade has come from Deutsche Bank. They were fined. Well, that bank was fined over $600 million for their involvement in, of all things, Russian money laundering. Well, you are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Democratic Congressman Michael Quigley. And uh, we have been talking about things domestic and international, and I sort of want to continue with that with another topic, and that would be uh, having to do with immigration. Um, President Trump says he is willing to do something to help those who were brought into this country illegally as children, but Democrats have to agree not to stand in the way of his border wall being built does that mean hope for the so-called dreamers, those young people in the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program? Um, what concerns me is that he's using these dreamers. Uh, as you've suggested, these are, these are young people who know no other home. There is no alternative of forcing them back someplace that really isn't home to them. 
So the president's using them as a tool to get what he wants, uh, a wall that is unproductive in what he thinks it would do, wildly costly, uh, harmful to the environment. It is a, he's using them as a political tool. What concerns me is the president overall, and this is just one example, has sh- shown no ability to empathize or even sympathize with those in this kind of a situation. Uh, the fact is, even if you can't appeal to the president's heart that this is the right thing, you should appeal to uh, his brain and to the American public's brain that this is the smart thing to do. Um, dreamers are contributing to our society in many ways. Uh, I've met with dreamers who are going to medical school, who are just graduating from colleges, who are prepared to boost our economy and contribute and to do positive things for this country, uh, including adding to the tax base. The bigger issue here, of course, is at some point in time, we're going to have to pass comprehensive immigration reform, a measure that passed the Senate, I think now four years ago, on a bipartisan basis. If the president wants to put this issue behind us, let's get behind the broader issue of comprehensive immigration reform because it's the right thing to do not just for the dreamers, but for the roughly 12 million who are living in this country who, who should be allowed to have a path to citizenship. But even if you characterize the president's words and statements and intentions as sort of blackmail, you're still faced with, I mean, he's the guy who can send those young people out of the country or, you know, so... At some point, does there have to be a compromise? Uh, and if it's over a wall, is is that the kind of thing that, you know, well, let him have it and it'll collapse on its own and it won't do what it's supposed to do, but at least the kids will be saved? I think building the wall won't literally or figuratively collapse on its own. It will create greater problems on a wide variety of bases, aside from the fact that it's not the kind of country that we are. Uh, and to say, all right, I want to help these dreamers and do the wrong thing in order to help them? Is this not something we can abide by? The fact of the matter is there ought to be a group of Republicans willing to join Democrats to do the right thing without building a wall. Uh, It's part of the problem we face on an ongoing basis, and that is I, I get asked all the time, you know, why can't you work with this president and compromise more? I actually think that would be possible if we had a more moderate Republican president. There are things we can agree on, like infrastructure programs. But this president stakes out positions that are so extreme, so far to the right, that a compromise isn't in the middle. It's way out to the right. In 2009, when I was sworn in on a special election, a special moment, Uh, You get sworn in by yourself. I sat down, and your question reminds me of this moment. A lot of people came up and gave me advice, and one of them was Mark Kirk, who was a congressman at the time in the House, and he said, uh, just remember, everything that gets done here gets done in the middle, and if it doesn't get done in the middle, it's usually wrong. I would say that the tax reform tax plan that just passed was an example of that. Right. So we have to try to get things done in the middle. When the president stakes out far right positions, 
it doesn't mean that we should compromise with him because that's not really compromise. Then are you hopeful that some relief will be found for the the dreamers? I mean, I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm asking if there will be, are there enough moderate Republicans to save that program? I'd like to think there are. But I have yet to see in the last year, the first year under the president's administration, the Republicans step up and stand against the president when he's wrong. The only time I've seen Republicans stand up and talk about what's wrong with this president, and perhaps the best, arguably the most important speech on the Senate floor in the last several years was by Senator Flake from Arizona, who talked about the genuine threat to the rule of law and who we are as a people by President Trump. But he's doing it on his way out, announcing that he's not running again. So where are the courageous Republicans who will stand up against a president who I would argue is is leading us in an autocratic way when they're not walking out the door? This would be an opportunity for them to step up and protect the dreamers and show that this is the kind of country we are and push back against the president who's taken us to the extremes. Uh, I want to turn to uh, something else. Uh, some of the uh, more well-known headlines of the last week. Uh, there's been a lot of fire and fury, uh, so to speak, over author Michael Wolf's book by that title. Uh, it quotes former Trump campaign and White House advisor Steve Bannon extensively, and it prompted a detailed statement from the president disparaging Banning, saying he lost his mind. What's worrying you? Uh, yes, we've had some very entertaining headlines this week. What's worrying you behind all those headlines? I've been asked uh, who's winning and losing this fight, and uh, I'm not sure who's winning, but I think we're all losing as a result of this kind of discourse. This comes off as a really bad reality TV show which I suppose is what we might have expected from a president who was, was the star of a really bad reality TV show. But uh, that's not the life we lead, and we need leadership at a difficult time. And here we are uh, listening to people who are running this country arguing like school kids. Um, it, I've been asked, is there anything about what Mr. Bannon said that I thought was accurate? I would suggest this. Uh, he referenced the meeting at Trump Tower with uh, the president's son and uh, Russians he asked to meet with, who he asked to have dirt on Hillary Clinton. He called it treasonous. And I think more importantly, he suggested that it's, the chances are near zero that the president, that, that Trump Jr. didn't take these people right up to see uh, his father. Well, I don't know that he did that, but I would suggest that its chances are near zero that Trump Jr. doesn't share this kind of information with his father. So perhaps the question for our time and in this investigation is, did the president's minions carry out what the candidate talked about in 2016? Let's flash back. Candidate Trump said, I love WikiLeaks. And uh, he encouraged them to hack into Hillary Clinton's emails, which was, by the way, a felony. 
Um, and we now know that that took place and those were disseminated to hurt her candidacy. What was the president's role? Who else was involved? How can we prevent this in the future? So the book raises those questions to a large extent. And if it, it increases the interest in the Russian investigation so that it may continue, then I suppose it's worth it. Now, if this book is to be believed, and uh, I stress that the White House says it is not, uh, then the president is a man with no patience for the details of his job. He doesn't read briefing papers, and he has surrounded himself with what uh, one alleged insider calls clowns. Uh, Should should we be paying attention to those kinds of things? I mean, people are using the contents of this book, and even its author has raised questions about his methods, or has the the author's actions have raised questions about his methods. People are using though, this book to raise questions about the president's mental fitness for the job. Is that an overreaction to this kind of thing? I don't think you need a book to question the president's fitness. I think the president is manifestly unfit to do this job. And none of that comes from reading anything about this book and certainly haven't read the book yet. Uh, I think the president, and I have a pretty close-up look as it relates to foreign policy, um, is uninformed and often ignorant on issues, incoherent, childlike, arrogant, impulsive, compulsive, um, and not willing to listen to absolutely anyone else. Uh, these are scary characteristics for the leader of the free world. I think it has set the world on edge. It has uh, concerned our allies to the point where I'm not sure they trust us as much. That makes us all less safe. So uh, I think the bottom line, if you were to put what's a, what's the common theme here, it, it is an extraordinarily narcissistic personality that cannot be questioned. Uh, doesn't believe that they don't know enough about an issue and frankly got elected appealing to the lesser angels of our nature, nature, uh, appealed to base instincts, uh, failed to unify doing just the opposite. And, uh, you know, we're in a circumstance now where we have to protect our, our democratic process against someone I think who isn't set to do it. Now, so how did the Democrats move forward at this point? And we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, because a debate like this could cause people to uh, to question their faith in the president. But then again, a discussion like this could cause those who support the president to redouble their efforts. And, and maybe it proves to them in their in their minds that people will stop at nothing to discredit this president. Aren't you, aren't you seeing the sides harden? I think so. People often ask me, uh, why do I, uh, when I message on this, why am I trying to be so calm and rational? Uh, it's harder to do that. I think the message is, I don't think that we can ever get the president's base to listen. Maybe that's a third of the country. Uh, I don't need to necessarily message to the, uh, the third on the, the, on the left. I think it's the middle America that needs to hear this. I don't think I under, I overstate this. We have a genuine threat of a potential constitutional crisis in this country. And Democrats and Republicans have to unify to face that challenge. 
there's a real serious threat that this president will try to pardon or fire or refuse executive judicial orders uh, to do the right thing here. So we are going to have to be unified as a country to face those challenges. Very tough ones for 2018. Um, do you think that you're that you're winning any <laughs> any are making any converts? Uh, I think as you see the president's popularity slowly ebb down point by point as time goes on. I think that middle ground of the American base is starting to get that this president isn't suited for this job and that these threats exist. That is Congressman Mike Quigley. Thank you very much for spending this half hour with us. Uh, To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. It is a new website, wbbmnewsradio.com. Uh, Just follow the audio links. You'll also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of our Ad Issue broadcast, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.